Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the 2018 NFL Draft Edition of our radio show. Excited to be bringing it to you with some expert guests. Today is a day that the rich teams look to get stronger and richer, while the subpar teams look to change their fortunes. There's a lot of excitement all the way around from coast to coast. And, Gino, one of the things that I look forward to the most is the intrigue, the rumors, the speculation. There's a lot of it coming down to the wire here. But to me, the trades are what really, really makes it exciting. Yeah, to take a, a line away from a podcast that I listen to, a very popular one. The rumor and innuendo this week is crazy, Mike, because right now, I mean, in the last 20, in the last 48 hours, the, the buzz has been, okay, now it's going to be Josh Allen. You know, a, a couple weeks ago, it was, it was Darnold, Rosen, that, that really looked like, and then even some Barkley towards the top. Now it's become, we may see four quarterbacks go right off the bat. Boom, 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 boom. Now it's become Allen, you know, two days ago was the number one pick. Now it's become Mayfield is the number one pick. There's just so much buzz. And I think a lot of it has to do with Cleveland in particular. They keep things very close to their vest about who they're going to select. So nobody really has an idea of uh, of what pick they're going to make right now. And generally, you know, right now, we know who's going to go number one at this point in the draft. Wouldn't it be funny if when all is said and done, Lamar Jackson ends up being the best of the bunch? <laughs> or like Mike White from Western Kentucky? Oh, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. And, but we got to be honest, this, this position in particular, quarterback, is the biggest swing and miss of all of them. Because you need a quarterback. Every team needs them. So it's such a, you know, it's such a demand. When your team needs a quarterback, you go, you go get one, you go look for one. And if they, if they're a bust, you know, your franchise for a couple years is in some trouble, especially when you're, you're going to make a selection like the one you're going to make tonight for a lot of these organizations who need a quarterback. And we're going to see what the looks of it right now. We'll be talking to Rick in just a minute, probably five now, even into six possible quarterbacks selected in the first round this year. It's a possibility. I would say more likely it will land on four, which is what you said a few moments ago. Um, very curious to hear Rick's uh, prediction on that one. Because well, I think my- I think Jackson is the guy is the guy that will get like I could see the Patriots they've said or somebody at the end of the the first round taking a swing on him. Even a team that has a quarterback just saying, you know what, this is our project to work on. So I think he's going to go at the end of the first round if he doesn't go earlier than that. And and then you you know we. We basically expect we're going to get Allen, Rosen, Darnold, Mayfield. So there's five already, you know? Yeah. There's going to be so many, so many, like, that is what is, I think, pretty fun about the draft this year, though, is that for someone like me or, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a big football fan I love, but I don't know as much about the interior linemen, some of the defensive players. I just don't know their names as well, you know? And I think a lot of people out there, the popular names, the guys' names that you know that they've been talking about for the last couple months and and big-name players from college, they're going to be a lot of talk of, of them, and we're going to see and hear a lot about them for the next week or so because a lot of these big guys are going to go early this year. 
Yeah, I mean, that's always the case, right? Most of the time, people yeah, are aware of the quarterbacks, the receivers, the running backs, that type of thing. But let's face it, most people can't even name the interior linemen on, uh, on, on their favorite team's division rivals. Sure. You sure. know what I mean? If you're a Rams fan, most people don't know the interior linemen with the Niners and the Seahawks and, 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 the, and the Cardinals, unless they're like pro bowlers, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, it's usually going to be the fantasy stars that, that get most of the attention. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. going to be an article tomorrow morning, which players taken in the first round have the most fantasy impact and all this and all that. But teams don't draft based on fantasy impact. They're looking at things in the long-term future and, to me, one of the other things that's, uh, you know, will be interesting to watch out for is which of the teams like the Patriots and the Saints and maybe even the Steelers with Roethlisberger are looking to groom somebody for the future. I mean, how much more are you going to get out of Breeze, even Eli Manning, Brady, Roethlisberger, we were maybe Eric, Eric, Eric Rodgers, maybe, even, you know, we were hearing talks up until a couple of days ago that Brady was possibly not going to come back this year. I don't think anybody really believed that. But when it's out there already, you know, you have to start making some plans and start thinking. So I agree with you. I think there are going to be a couple of quarterbacks taken as like the the backup selection process guys. Maybe we'll give them a year to to kind of study under our veteran quarterback. And, you know, I just think that this year it's so much more fun for um, for kind of a novice NFL fan or a fan who hasn't even been kind of sinking their teeth into all this draft prep because maybe normally there's like one or two big names that we know are going to go towards the top of the draft. But this year it's at least five or six, like all the quarterbacks, everybody knows. Uh, Most people know Barkley. We know Chubb and some of the stud defenders. So there's a lot of just name recognition out there that maybe even in two, three, four, five past years quite haven't been. It just feels like it's very top heavy this year, more so than just the, that one or two, um, and you know, I think we have Rick holding, so we can re- already start to jump right into, uh, the, uh, the nitty gritty, but this is, this isn't your other, like your NBA draft, Mike, where you got two rounds one night. This is a marathon draft that is literally like a full weekend, um, full weekend event. And, and more so than anything, you know, how, how often those big boards are even going to change. You have your big board, you have your list, there's movement. Somebody selects here, all sorts of trades, everything going on. So the pieces are constantly moving. Very fluid process, and let me give you a quick history tidbit before we bring Rick on. So the NFL draft, not a lot of people know this, but it used to be 17 rounds. And then it switched to 12 rounds all the way until like the early 90s uh, until it evolved into our recent format of seven. Now, a lot of people ask me, why is that? Do teams need less guys? And the answer is no. What I call the eighth round plus is undrafted free agents. Basically, ESPN came in. They made this thing very popular through their coverage. Once they got that contract, they brought in Mel Kuyper Jr. in 1984. And I think the thought process was, we can't televise 17 rounds. That's ridiculous. To keep the intrigue, to keep people at the edge of their seats, we could go a max of seven rounds. Then later on, very recently, they broke it up over a three-day period, with the first round being tonight, of course, uh, latter rounds being Friday and Saturday. And so... The eighth round is what I call it, or priority free agency happens behind the scenes. The minute that the last pick is taken in the seventh round, agents and teams begin discussions. Typically, they happen behind the scenes before that, but uh, they're not allowed to technically happen or a contract be done until the draft is over. Then it's a free-for-all. It's a big-time frenzy, and you know the eighth round begins and lasts probably a few hours, sometimes into Sat from Saturday evening into Sunday and even into Monday. And then at rookie minicamp, some guys are going to get cut. 
more priority free agents are going to get signed. So it's a pretty lengthy process, like you said. It's a marathon process, like you said. I'm looking forward to seeing who are the diamond in the roughs from this draft. And nobody better to break that down for us than NFL Draft Bibles, Rick Ciratella. Rick, good afternoon for you. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm having fun listening to you guys talk, and it's funny because, you know, uh, being at the draft each and every year, the draft concludes, and it's like the the media members that do survive the three days are kind of like exhaling, like, oh, thank God it's over, and it's like, shoot, fellas, I'm just getting started because now I got my phone (laughs) blowing up with all these undrafted free agent signings, and, you know, it's like really unbelievable because, like you mentioned, that eighth round, it really starts, you know, those negotiations really start on, on the beginning of day three, even like round five, teams are kind of negotiating, hey, if, you know, if, you, if this guy doesn't get drafted, we love to bring him on. You start talking about signing bonuses, and I think, you know, that's really where NFL decision makers and evaluators can really make their uh, bread and butter and, 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 and uh, extend their, their time in the front office. If you are able... Never mind hitting on the draft. If you are able to hit on the undrafted free agents, I think 30 to 40% of each team is consisted of undrafted free agents. So if you're able to dig deep into each year's draft class, that's really where you can earn your money and distinguish yourself from other decision makers around the league, in my opinion. No, you're exactly right. And you don't have to have a big home run like Tony Romo or Priest Holmes or James Harrison or you know so on and so forth. Like you said, 30 40% of the rosters are made up of PFAs. And so you need solid role players. You need depth. And occasionally, yeah, there are some superstars that emerge out of this process. We'll get back to PFAs in a moment here. Let's start at the top, talk first round. And actually, got a, uh, I saw a Twitter question that was posed out there from one of our followers named Marcus Getkin. And he made a really interesting point. Same thought I've been having for a long time, which is this. If you're Cleveland and you brought in Terod Taylor, why not use your first two picks on, let's just say, Barkley and Chubb or Barkley and Minka Fitzpatrick, two guys that you know are probably going to be game changers and mainstays in this league for a while, rather than, you know, rolling the dice with quarterbacks. And as we've seen, they only pan out like 15 percent, 20 percent of the time. Well, you know, if I'm if I'm John Dorsey, one, uh, I look around the league I take a look at the playoff teams. I see one common denominator. Aside from the Jacksonville Jaguars, the other 11 teams all have extraordinary quarterback play at that position. And your success as a franchise is predicated around how good your starting quarterback is. And as we saw last year, the second most important position on your roster is the backup quarterback. And to me, you know, I don't want to mess around. Going back to Tim Couch, <laughs> the, the, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they're striking out more than Danny Tartable here. Uh, <laughs> you, know, they, you know, they've had so much lack of success at the quarterback position. I'd be hesitant to even wait till number four, never mind the second round. Why would I want my fourth best quarterback on the board possibly because if you do take a Barkley or Chubb at one now you know who knows the Giants may take a quarterback the Jets are going to take a quarterback now suddenly you've got the third best quarterback on your board as opposed to your top quarterback on the board so to me 
You've got to solidify that position. You've got to find your guy. And, yeah, you know what? Aside from the Cleveland Browns, hopefully they're putting an end to this streak. You know, not too many times do you get a chance to pick number one overall. And, you know, if I'm John Dorsey, I'm not anticipating picking number one overall anytime soon. So, for me, this is my chance to get it right. I take a look at the future of college football. There's no consensus number one quarterback. This time last year, we were all talking about Josh Rose and Josh Allen, even Sam Darnold, as potential first-round picks. I take a look at next year's draft class. There's no consensus. There's no guy that says, hey, this is going to be my franchise signal caller. And I think when you do that, you get a little bit more uh, appreciation for this year's draft class. But I want to get it right. And for me, if I have the number one overall selection, I'm going to take the top quarterback, in my opinion, because without a good quarterback, you will not have a good franchise. And for you reading your materials, that's Sam Darnold, correct? Or is that just who you think Cleveland will take? No, you know, I did my mock draft. I think it's Sam Darnold, but for me, I like Josh Rosen. I, uh, I've been shooting the Josh Rosen horn for a couple years now. I think he's the most polished quarterback. I think he's the most immediate and ready quarterback to step in. I think he has the highest floor and you know, at the end of the day, it's funny because now, you know, we've all, you know, the, the media has questioned Josh Rosen's uh, character or some of his quotes or things that he's said and decisions. And it's funny because now, you know, you got guys like uh, Josh Allen were digging up his, his tweets from high school when he was 16 years old using racial slurs. I haven't had a chance to go and look up what he actually said, but now we've got, you know, the Josh Allen debate and, and, and you know, are we going to chalk it up to him just being young and dumb and being a high He dropped a couple player? N-bombs, basically. I, I was looking at the tweets. He was, it was like he's playing video games with some of his buddies. He was kind of talking after a game, and he used a couple, uh, he used a couple N-bombs in, in there when he okay. was referencing. Yeah. So are, are, are we going to hold that against him, or are we going to chalk that up to him being young? And then, you know, you got Baker Mayfield on the opposite end of the spectrum who, you know, the, the teams are bringing him in for private workouts and, and team visits, and, and, you know, his agent's calling up the teams and saying, hey, uh, you know, we appreciate you bringing in Baker for a visit, but, you know, you're going to have to bump him up to first class. And, you know, now to me, what's going on with Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen is just as concerning, if not more concerning, than, you know, what Josh Rosen is being criticized for. So it's funny because, you know, Rosen's been uh, villainized in the media, and now, you know, leading up to the draft, now you got, you know, people with different agendas, who's leaking this information, what their motives are. Is it a team, you know, that maybe likes Josh Allen that is leaking this information and hopes that he slides? But, you know, all this buzz with Baker Mayfield going number one, I, I just have a hard time buying into it. And, I, and, you know, listen, I could be completely wrong, and, and we'll find out five hours from now. But, you know, for me, envisioning Baker Mayfield as the number one overall pick in this year's draft, I just have a tough time seeing that yeah especially since it doesn't seem like he learns from his mistakes that to me is the thing that's a little bit uh puzzling well you know when when there's smoke there's fire and you have an accumulation of things now where you know the crotch grabbing situation the dui you know running from the cops and you know now you know not knowing his role in my opinion hey baker love you to death, but let's pump the brakes a little bit here, man. Know your role. Know where you fit in. And, you know, don't think that your veteran teammates 
aren't keeping close tabs on this because this is all going to be fodder. You know, say what you want. There is rookie hazing. And, you know, it, it all comes down to being a leader of men and commanding respect from the veterans and being able to do that. And, you know, when, when you're Mr. Hollywood all of a sudden demanding first-class flights on team visits and you're not even in the league yet, uh, you know, people are paying attention and taking notice of that. Yeah, so, that's quite Johnny they- Manzelish. You know what I mean? Very much Johnny Manzelish. And, uh, Gino, I'll let you jump in in one quick second here. The other thing I was going to go back to Josh Allen and say is this. I think in this day and age where uh, racial sensitivity is, is at an all-time high for good reason, I think there's a lot of dialogue out there. I would take a stand if I'm a team. If I'm a GM, if I'm an owner of a team, I'll publicly say, hey, we had this guy uh, on our draft board. We were going to take him, but we cannot stand for that because, you know, a majority of your locker room is black. And so how could you have your quarterback make such comments? And like I said, I, like you said, I have not read them yet. looks like Gino was able to pull them up. I don't know the context yeah, they the seem. I mean, it, it looks a little jokey, and I mean, it's obviously something that we. And he was young, and he was like messing around with with some of his friends, and they were kind of t- tweeting back and forth. But again, you're right. Like, it's different. Mike and I were talking earlier. It's different when Jared Goff tweets something about not liking the Dodgers and liking the Giants, and then he comes down to the the Rams, and and Puig is having fun with him about those tweets. And even Larry Nance Jr. was tweeting something. He tweeted something about Kobe, which wasn't very good, and I think it had to do with the Colorado incident. And then Larry Nance got drafted by the Lakers, and it was a little awkward, and Kobe kind of had some fun with him about it afterwards. But I think when you really start getting into the racial stuff, that's where it's key. It's not talking about, hey, I'm not a fan of the – you know, of this team, and then they pick me. That's a little different. The racial stuff worries me. And, you know, just what we've been talking about right now, Rick, in the last five minutes, does it lead us back to when, you know, the four big-name quarterbacks, three of them have some some slightly negative buzz out there? Does it kind of circle you right back to Darnold? Because as a USC fan, I like Darnold. I th- you know, I like him. I thought he, was, he had a good year. We were disappointed, obviously, in the results of the year. It wasn't as much in Darnold, but he is a very, very... Um, mature, well-mannered, doesn't open his mouth. You're not going to hear any of the things that you heard from Allen, from Mayfield, or even from Rosen, from Darnold. He just doesn't, he's just not wound that way. He doesn't, he's, he is a leader type guy. So, you know, when we're talking about the big names and all, and out of the four of them, three of them already have kind of a, something that you scratch your head about. You think that'll maybe lead us right back to Darnold end up being the number one pick? I do. I mean, I think he's he's my pick to go number one, and and again, just because of all the trial and tribulations for the Browns fans, and and maybe some of these other quarterbacks have a higher ceiling, but I think you know, in terms of a safer play, Sam Darnold can be that guy, and you know, he's your suit and tie quarterback. He's your corporate quarterback. You're you're playing in a big market. You're the Giants and the Jets. You know, this guy's not going to say the wrong thing. He's going to be able to handle the media, playing in a big media market. He's, he's handled it before. Um, the concerns I have, obviously, are on the field now with, with turnovers and not just the Small football, hands, also, yeah. Uh, yeah, small hands. And then the interceptions as well. You know, people say, hey, well, you know, a lot of those interceptions weren't his fault. Well, there's a lot of would-be interceptions that were his fault that just weren't accounted for. I take the UCLA game. As a small three. size, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's three interceptions that should have been interceptions that were dropped by the Bruins defenders. So, you know, it's funny because, yeah, he, in a way, he's very mature compared to some of these other quarterbacks. 
in another way, you know, when he does start a game next year for whatever team that may be, he'll be the second youngest quarterback in the history of the league to ever start a game in the NFL next to Tommy Maddox. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a learning curve with him too. And, you know, I'll, quite honestly, I'm not sure I want to throw any of these guys uh, into the fire right away, but it's just not the lay of the land. It's not the NFL world that we live in today because, you know, since Sam Bradford, I think he got a $15 million signing bonus, uh, $60 million guaranteed. You know, since the CBA has changed, you know, you take a risk on a first-round quarterback and strike out, it's not that big of a deal. You know, Jamarcus Russell strapped the Raiders franchise down for like five years because of the financial ramifications. And now, you know, the Jets are picking number three. They've already drafted Christian Hackenberg in the second round, Bryce Petty in the third round, Geno Smith in the second round. I mean, they've selected a quarterback each and every year, and they keep missing and striking out. But because of the new CBA that went into effect several years ago, it's not that big of a deal. So uh, they're allowed that luxury, and I think that you're going to find that we're in an interesting era in the NFL. I heard you guys talking about some of these teams that are looking for the hair apparent, whether it's Pittsburgh, New England, New Orleans, the Giants. Uh, there's so many teams out there looking for the next guy. And then you have you know another half a dozen teams looking for their franchise signal callers. So, I mean, like, 35 to 40% of the league is looking for a quarterback, and that's why, you know, I did my mock draft. I just posted it up on the site. Four of those uh, top six picks are quarterbacks. And it's not to say that they're the top players in the draft, but it's, it's, it's really the most important position in this year's draft, and, and that's just the way, the nature of the beast. So to speak. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Rick, can you hang up with us for another segment? There's just so much to get to. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, then let's take our first commercial break. We're a little bit late on that, and we will be back in a few moments with Rick Saratella talking NFL draft. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino talking NFL Draft with NFL Draft Bibles, Rick Saratella. We just finished the first segment talking about the quarterbacks and the impact they have on franchises, etc. Before we move on from the quarterbacks, one of the points that you made on your draft board, your final mock draft, everybody should check that out at NFLDraftBible.com. There's a lot of interesting commentary, a lot of meat there. It's not just picks and names uh, is that Baker Mayfield's best case scenario would actually be to go to Arizona, allow him some time to develop. Uh, I like that thought. I like that idea. How likely is that to happen? Or do you think Arizona will uh, go a different direction when all is said and done? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're hearing the buzz Baker Mayfield number one overall, but to me, he's always been the guy that can do the slip and slide in this year's draft. I think that's kind of why he turned down. Uh, the television network camera. He doesn't want the cameras on him because I do think we could have an Aaron Rodgers situation, and I don't think he slides as far down as Rodgers, but you know, we thought Rodgers would be the number one overall pick. He went 18 or 22 or whatever the case may be. And I think if it isn't Baker Mayfield at number one, I could see him in a situation where you know Denver at number five could trade out or, or Indianapolis at number six could trade out. And Arizona... Signing a Sam uh, Bradford to a one-year deal, bringing in Mike Glennon, those guys are short-term uh, stopgaps. And I think a guy like Baker Mayfield, where he does need some development because when, when, the, when the pocket compromises, his accuracy goes way down. And I think that's the one glaring defect in his game that when you study him on film, you know, at the next level, it's great to be able to improvise and be able to you know, extend plays on the run. But we all know at the NFL, it's about pocket passing play. And those are the most successful quarterbacks at the next level. Now, I think if you do get them with a team like Arizona where they can develop a, a scheme around him similar to Marcus Mariota in Tennessee where you know Mariota has that moving pocket and, and they've kind of built the offense around him, I think it would benefit Baker Mayfield to kind of bide his time, uh, practice his fundamental footwork dropbacks, and then also become a better, accurate passer inside the pocket. It's all fine and dandy if you want to let him, you know, run with some RPOs and the moving pocket type of thing, but he definitely needs to be railed in a little bit, and there's going to be a transition. And also, you know, we're just assuming that, you know, hey, six foot, no problem. I mean, this is a little bit of an issue here, to the, the, the batted passes, to be able to see over 
the six foot five offensive lineman. You know, we just chalk it up and say, hey, man, man, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, incredible collegiate player. Yeah, he's going to succeed at six feet tall. But, you know, listen, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, even Doug Flutie, they're the anomaly. And, you know, you don't see these guys. These guys come around once a decade, if that. I mean, we can count on one hand how many six foot quarterback starting starters there have been in the history of the league. So just to assume that, you know, hey, he can overcome that. I mean, there's a lot of factors here that need to be considered, that need to be weighed. And, that, and it all goes back to me having a hard time believing that he's going to be the number one overall pick when you factor all that into the equation. Yeah, I could see him even uh, slipping down to the Miami spot, which would be really interesting because they've kind of swung and missed uh, quite a bit with, with the drafts, uh, you know, really since – you know, since Dan Marino retired. I mean, they've had some good picks here and there, but that just seems like a one of those historic franchises that has not been able to get their act together. I'm not sure if they could afford to swing and miss on a premier position like the quarterback. For teams that are, uh, well, let's just talk about the Super Bowl teams. It's really interesting because the Patriots have two first-round picks. Uh, the Eagles have just one top 100 pick. The team with the most top 100 picks is the Buffalo Bills with six. And the other teams with two first-round picks are the Browns, as, as we've discussed, and the Bills. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the Texans, Chiefs, and Rams have no first-round picks. One last tidbit is the uh, Packers have the most picks in the entire draft with 12. If you were to look in your crystal ball, do you see one team – really changing their fortunes from top to bottom based on the number of selections they've got, team that can add some depth. You know, I started off the show saying the rich could possibly get richer and the poor hope to change their fortunes. Who do you think are the teams that will probably end up being um, getting A grades, let's just say? Well, I mean, you know, Cleveland is obviously the team that stands out at number one and number four, and then again at 33 and 35. But I think the one team uh, you didn't mention, I think the, the Indianapolis Colts, I think they really have positioned themselves to make a big impact here at the draft. And I, I completely believe that they are in all, you know, full-fledged trade mode there at number six. And to me, you know, it just makes too much sense. Buffalo needs a quarterback. Uh, you know, they trade 12 and 22 to move up and take Josh Allen at number six. All of a sudden... I got the Colts taking Tremaine Edmonds at 12. I got the uh, Colts taking Marcus Davenport at 22. And then I got them taking, uh, you know, Sony Michelle at 36 and Ronnie Harrison at 37. Now it's, you know, it's all a fairy tale at this point, but imagine pairing Ronnie Harrison with Malik Hooker, Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, really solidifying the middle of that defense. And then, you know, adding a guy like Sony Michelle there at the top of the second round to plug that running back void. I think the Colts, man, you, you talk about the Giants reloading and, and making a run and going from worst to first. How about the Colts if, you know, the big if is Andrew Luck. I mean, if he returns to even 75% of what he was, I think the Colts are in great position to kind of uh, put themselves into the mix as a potential playoff team next year. Now, so we're looking at your numbers, and with, the, with all the buzz we're hearing this morning about Baker Mayfield, 
How many quarterbacks do you think are going to go in that first round? We a week ago we were saying four. Now it's looking like maybe even six. What 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 do you think? Yeah. So two days ago I did a mock draft that had six quarterbacks, and then today I yeah. did it, and I only had four. Uh, I have Mason Rudolph going to forty at Denver. If they do trade down, they can, you know, maybe grab Mason Rudolph at forty. But I think, you know, Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph. I think these guys are top 50 selections. I don't know if they sneak into the first round, but, you know, with that being said, having four quarterbacks taken in the first six picks, you could see some of these teams trade up into the back end of the first round and and move up and grab a quarterback. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Could could, You know, you mentioned the Patriots with two first-round picks. I think they're going to go Dallas Goedert is uh, one of my picks at tight end from South Dakota State. And whether they dangle Gronkowski as trade bait or not, uh, you put those two guys in there. You know, we just did a show, and, and we talked about Gronkowski's best seasons were, were when he had an Aaron Hernandez. And whether you want to, you know, take Goder and dangle Gronkowski as trade bait or keep the two of them, I think now with the Patriots having those two first-round selections, they have the luxury of doing that. It would not shock me if they did take a quarterback in round one and they've been, you know, reportedly in armored with Lamar Jackson. I could see Mason Rudolph also being a fit there. So, you know, if the Patriots are a team to draft a quarterback, I could see the fifth quarterback uh, being taken in New England. And I I think the Las Vegas odds have it at like five and a half. So they're also anticipating about five quarterbacks being selected in the first round as well. Looks to me, Rick, like, Another position that's really deep, aside from the quarterback, is the uh, defensive tackle position. Looks like we're going to have some high-end, top-end type guys. Who impresses you the most, you know, between uh, the consensus top four, which are, uh, you know, the kid from Washington, Alabama, Florida, and Michigan. Obviously, I'm talking about uh, Vita Vea, Deron Payne, uh, Taven Bryan, and Maurice Hurst. Yeah, so for me, you know, I think, Deron Payne is the best defensive tackle in this year's draft class, and I think he's being somewhat undervalued. And Vita Vey, I mean, he's explosive. He had a, a great workout, and, you know, I'm not sure he's a three-down player at the next level. And, and we mentioned the Dolphins, if they don't take a quarterback, I think Vita Vey could be there for them at number 12, and, and I think he may be the first defensive tackle off the board. But I see Payne one, uh, Vey two, and then, yeah, Taven Bryan, I mean, he's obviously drawn the J.J. Watt comparisons, a guy that's kind of skyrocketed here throughout the draft process, had a heck of a combine workout, and, you know, a guy that I think is going to be a top 25 selection. And then you start digging out Maurice Hurst. Now, he's all over the board. You know, he's a first-round talent on film. The heart condition, you know, he got cleared by his doctors at school, but, you know, the doctors at the Combine prevented him from working out. So you're seeing, you know, some people feel like he may go day three now. I, I, I have a hard time believing that because he is a first-round talent on film. So, you know, yeah, you're going to see three or four defensive tackles in the first round, and then you got guys like Harrison Phillips from Stanford, B.J. Hill uh, from North Carolina State, Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes State, a little small school love. Um, I think you're going to see seven or eight defensive tackles here in the first two rounds. Agreed. And I think the other two positions that are really deep are, uh, you know, especially with outside linebackers and corners. Do you think that when all is said and done, 
even though the quarterbacks are getting a lot of the hype that the corners are going to be what this draft is known for, maybe even a couple of Hall of Famers? Well, you know, it's always a little bit early to, to start putting yellow jackets on players. I know David Gettleman wants to do that, but, um, you know, I got seven or eight defensive backs, I think, in my first round. I think the cornerbacks are where you're going to see a, a run off the board early here tonight on the first day of the draft. And, you know, guys like Mike Hughes, uh, guys like Carlton Davis from Auburn, uh, Jer Alexander from Louisville, even, uh, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick could fall out of the top ten. Derwin James could fall out of the top ten. Uh, Denzel Ward, obviously, if the Broncos do stay put at number five, would be the ideal replacement for Aqib Talib. But, yeah, I think we saw 70 defensive backs invited to the NFL Combine this year, which was a record by far. Uh, never has there been that many defensive backs Selected. We didn't even talk about a guy like Joshua Jackson from Iowa, who I think we'll hear his name called. Uh, Dante Jackson from LSU, a speed burner kind of guy. And then, you know, you got the, the Alabama corner, the other Alabama corners, Anthony Averett and Tony Brown, that are kind of like the forgotten men that could go here on day two. So I think, I think cornerback is definitely the deepest position on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I, I might surprise some people here, but to me, wide receiver is really deep, really talented. You might not have that star-studded, top-of-the-name, uh, franchise type of wide receiver. There might not be a wide receiver gone in the first round, but I think when you look at the depth, I mean, just going through our rankings on day two, day three, I mean, guys like Doris Fountain from Northern Iowa, who wasn't even invited to the Combine, a guy like Vincent Smith from Limestone, who is way under the radar, uh, Jamon Moore, uh, a guy from Missouri who could be taken in the middle of the round. The wide receiver position, to me, is really going to outproduce their draft slots, and I think that's part of the reason why you might not see a receiver selected in the first round, because they can come back in round two, maybe get a Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. Equanimous St. Brown from uh, Notre Dame it, it has explosive playmaking ability. Deion Kane from Clemson is really a, a guy that could be a solid wide receiver too, a starting wide receiver at the next level. DJ Chark from LSU, uh, here's a guy that nobody talks about. He could be the best wide receiver of the bunch. Dante Pettis from Washington, I mean, another explosive playmaker. Anthony Miller from Memphis. Some people think on film he's the best wide receiver. Michael Gallup from Colorado State is a guy that's going to outplay a lot of the players who are selected ahead of him. And here at the NFL Draft Bible, you know, Antonio Callaway is a knucklehead. He's got nothing between the ears from Florida. (laughs) He didn't even play this past season, but a very similar situation to a Tyree Kill, who I think went in the fifth round to the Chiefs, and we've seen the dividends he's paid off. If I can get Antonio Callaway in the third or fourth round, I'm feeling pretty good about myself because I think this guy has a chance to be the best wideout in this year's draft class. And then, hey, James Washington from Oklahoma State. The list goes on and on. When you talk wide receivers, Auden Tate from Florida State, Deontay Burnett from USC, Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State, these are all guys that have a chance. Trey Quinn, everybody talks about Cortland Sutton from SMU. Trey Quinn might be the most underrated position wideout in this year's draft. So, 
Jaleel Scott from New Mexico State is just the human highlight film. Uh, he has some off-the-field issues that may cause him to slide. Marquez Valdez-Scantling from South Florida is just a six foot four, four three wideout. In case you didn't know, guys, I love this year's wide receiver class. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're very well versed on this year's receiver. <laughs> <laughs> that was insane. I mean, awesome. just and I know that you're free flowing off the top of your head. Absolutely impressive, Rick. Mike, uh, let me let me ask him one quick hitter before oh, we yeah. go. Just twenty seconds on my man Rojo. I didn't like the buzz, Ronald Jones. There wasn't a lot of good buzz around uh, the combine with him, but he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Where, what range do you expect him to go in? Yeah, one of the most interesting prop bets Vegas has is. Who will be selected first, Rashad Penny from San Diego State or Ronald Jones from USC? Right now, the money is on Rashad Penny, but you know there's a little X factor into the equation, and that's Lee Steinberg. And anytime Lee Steinberg is your agent, I think you have a good chance. And and Lee swears he's going to go in the first round. I don't know about that just because he did turn a lot of people off in the combine interviews behind closed doors. Never mind the 40-yard dash time at the combine because he did bounce back. I think he ran a 4.48 at his pro day. He just turned teams off during the interview process. But at the end of the day, he's a running back. He doesn't need to, inter- he doesn't need to impress me in the interview process. He doesn't even need to be the smartest guy. Just take the rock and run. I think I, when it's all said and done, Ronald Jones has got to be a top, you know, top guy in this year's draft. I don't see him sliding beyond the second round. Wow, so my, my man Rick has got a little bit of faith in uh, in Lee still. Maybe he'd be the uh, comeback agent of the year. I know he's rebounded. I'm, I'm wishing him the best. I know he's had a, a tough spell, but it looks like uh, the last couple of drafts, he's kind of got his mojo back maybe a little bit. We'll see how that goes. Rick, I wish we had three more segments with you. Great stuff, Break man. down all the other positions. I still even wanted to get your opinion on you know, who I think is maybe the surest bet, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame. But maybe we'll have to bring you on for a uh, recap uh, after the draft and and see, you know, kind of who are the surprises and which teams made out the best and and get Rick Saratella's grade. But we're up against it. And uh, thank you very, very much. Have fun tonight. Uh, Best of luck to you and your family, Rick. You're one of our favorite NFL guests because you bring it every single time. That's why we love you and love the NFL Draft Bible. Everybody should check it out. Got to be bookmarked on every NFL fan's computer. Rick, thank Uh, you very much, my friend. Thank you so much, guys. And I appreciate coming on the show. It's a can't stop, won't stop situation this time of year. And, you know, I always have fun chatting it up with you guys because it's not the same old, same old, you know, you, 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 you watch the mainstream media. It's like the same thing. They're being over the dead horse. So it's refreshing to come on and, and talk some real football uh, with some people that know who they're talking about. So anytime you guys want me, you already know you got me and I look forward to the next appearance. You the man. Appreciate it. Wealth Thank of you info, very much. like always. Yes, sir. All right. Sounds good, fellas. Take care now. Enjoy tonight. You- Thank you. You too. Stay with us, everyone. We are going to be back with Nick Underhill from The Advocate in New Orleans, giving us some Saints talk. Be right back in two. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. We're talking big game adventures this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav. While most seasons are still months away, that doesn't mean we can't start preparing for our fall pursuits right now. Joining us is Jenna Waller, host of Skullbound TV, Derek Ratliff, president and founder of Horizon Firearms, plus Tom and Nick of Become One. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino here talking NFL Draft on the Thursday of the first round, and we are happy to be joined by Nick Underhill, who covers the New Orleans Saints for the Advocate New Orleans. And we want to get things started off by talking first round. But before we do, just a little insight into Nick. He is so detail-oriented that I owe him snap times from my clients, <laughs> Zach Wood. I, I forgot about delivering that to you. I owe you that. I'll make sure to get the times out to you. How are you, Nick? Hey, I'm doing well. Hey, I'm just trying to let you let the people know why your guys, you know, your guys great. And I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> on you. I'm trying to I'm trying to work for you, and, and you got me out here hanging. He's helping you, Mikey. He's helping you. Oh man, I, I appreciate that, man. So hey, let's get contract let's, time. Contract time. You might be able to bring that up. You know, I'm just saying. Hey, there you go. There you go. I love it. I love it. He's got my back. So let's get right at it. <laughs> The, the, the Saints have done spectacularly well over the last couple of drafts. They have been hitting and hitting and hitting. Seems like they've, uh, they've done it especially well on the defensive side. But then again, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, you know, they've done well with the uh, skill position players as well. What are the main draft needs for the Saints this year? Yeah, I think this draft's interesting for them because I feel like they did have a pretty good offseason bringing in Cam Meredith, Ben Watson, you know, plugs the immediate edge there at tight end. Bringing back Alex Okafor kind of plugs the edge there at defensive end. I think they're walking into the draft feeling like, you know, another pass rusher. They call it a must. I feel like, you know, it's kind of a must, but if they didn't get one, I think I still think they'd be okay with that secondary. 
And I think the sixth, the, uh, sixth offensive lineman is a huge need. They have Tron Armstead there at, at left tackle, but he misses a lot of snaps. And then last year, Senio Calamente played about 65% of the snaps is the sixth offensive lineman, which basically makes him a starter. So I feel like they got to have that, that contingency plan. Jermon Bushrod's there, but you know, the way they've kind of been talking, it doesn't feel like they feel like maybe he's, He's somebody that they would want to play that many snaps. Maybe, you know, a stopgap here or there would be fine. So I, I would say they've set themselves up pretty well, and I think there's a feeling around the team that, that they're kind of playing with house money a little bit. And while I think they'd be fine to sit back and play the board at 27, take the BPA and, you know, kind of figure out how it goes from there, I, I'm kind of getting the sense a little bit that, that if there's somebody they like, I, I feel like that they would not hesitate to be aggressive and, and make a move. And if it was my guess, I would guess that player would probably be a pass rusher. You've seen a little movement um, as of late with the, the wide receiver depth chart. What is the, the depth chart kind of looking like for uh, the wide receivers right now in New Orleans? We know Michael Thomas was unbelievable last year, and he kind of took that next step as your real number one um, behind him. What does it look like, and do you do you see possibly um, a pickup for a wide receiver somewhere in the middle of the draft? I could see them taking a wide receiver somewhere. I mean, if they don't, again, I feel like that they're pretty well set there. They got Michael Thomas. They just signed Cam Meredith from Chicago. Obviously, he's coming back from the torn ACL. Didn't play last year, but two years ago, he, he was really good. He, he could be that kind of more electric slot in the mold of, you know, maybe maybe more along the lines of a Marcus Colson than Willie Sneed, who's more of a short yardage guy, you know, sits in zones and does some different things. But I think Meredith can be more dynamic there. And then they got Ted Ginn there, and they brought back Brandon Coleman, who's a better blocker than receiver. But if things got bad, you know, they can they can win with him. You know, the, the big thing, though, is, you know, those guys got to perform this year. Last year, the third down percentages were abysmal. It was something that they tried to figure out throughout the whole season. And it was odd because that's one of the hallmarks of Sean Payton's offense. You know, they move the ball on third down every year. It's 60% or better. Last year, it was, it was at the bottom of the league. And just being able to convert there, I think Ben Watson bringing him at tight end might help a little bit. But that's another position, too, that's kind of like a sneaky need. And either one of those wide receiver or tight end, if they had a playmaker to the offense, it could help a lot. Me, personally, I like the idea of a tight end just because I feel like if you get somebody that can dictate those matchups a little bit, you start thinking about third down, they're, they're three wide. You know, How do you match up when you split out Kamara? Either your dynamic tight end or Kamara is going to end up on a linebacker. Either one of them could eat him up. So I just feel like that tight end could probably dictate those matchups a little bit better for him than, than maybe a wide receiver. Yeah, and we've seen what uh, Breeze can do when he's got a really good receiving tight end. I mean, he could pick up hard at the yeah. field, and uh, like you said, it opens things up for everyone else. Uh, you know, they've kind of been looking for that guy that could be like a, you know, Jimmy Graham type of impact guy. In the first round, I read your most recent article in The Advocate where you suggest that if it was up to you, you know, or maybe your prediction, I suppose, would be uh, Josh Jackson, the DB from uh, Iowa. But one thing that I found interesting was that you are also speculating that there maybe is an outside shot for Mason Rudolph. My question for you is, is this the year that the Saints start looking for the heir apparent? Oh, I feel like any year could be the year. They're in the quarterback business every year now, as they should be. I mean, I'm sure you guys know last year their original target at 11 was Patrick Mahomes. Kansas City jumped them. They ended up with Lattimore. I don't think anybody's upset about how that worked out, but that's where their head was at last year. And, you know, 
last year they, they were a bad team going into the draft. You know, third, seven, nine season in a row. It, at that point, Drew Brees is entering the last year of his contract. There's speculation about Sean Payton leaving every year. You know, if there was a time ever for them to be focused on trying to win right now, it was last year. It, that's where their head was at. So now they're 11 and five. They're a good team. There isn't a whole lot of needs. If the right situation presented itself, I, I could see it and I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, I, I think it'd be a good move. I, I, I feel like you got to be early at that position. You don't want to be late. And then just even playing into that, Peyton had an interview with, with Peter King recently where he talked about, you know, he's looking at the quarterbacks in this draft at the top of the draft, you know, within the first five picks. He doesn't think any of them are worthy of the pick. So at some point, if they wait to replace Breeze, he, he retires, he moves on, whatever it is, they're going to be really bad for a year, and then they're going to be one of those teams in the top five that feel like they're forced to get a quarterback. And I'd rather have them try to take a guy now on their terms. They can develop, uh, develop for a year or two, let them learn behind Breeze, and then plug them in and be good to go. So if the right guy's there, I could see it happening. So you you were mentioning, oh, about Mikey, you were mentioning to us uh, a little earlier on, we've gotten so much buzz over the last few weeks we hear so many different rumors. We hear so many different things. What's the rest of your day like today now? Now it's draft day. Are you even paying attention to anything that's going on? Or is it like now I get to kick my feet back and just have a beer because I did all my stuff. I just want to see who the damn Saints are going to pick now. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. I'm, I'm, my phone will be on, so if like something major happens, you know, somebody can call me and they can reach me. But I'm trying to stay off Twitter. I mean, it. At this point, it's all chatter, and this is the time where, like, a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the BS starts coming out. You know, there's these leaks, and people aren't telling the truth today. Like, if you're if you're out there digging for something, I don't think you're gonna find find the real deal today. So, you know, I'm just waiting for seven o'clock Central Time, see who the Saints pick, figure out who's on the team, and can finally start talking about, you know, what the fit's gonna be instead of you know all the wild theories and and everything else. Well, I'm sure that Mickey Loomis and company, uh, you know, ha- are well prepared and, and ready, anxiously awaiting the, uh, you know, start of this draft. But seems to me like uh, Peyton might be in big time relaxed mode. I see you reporting that he's been golfing with Roger Clemens, <laughs> Jordan Spieth, uh, Ryan Palmer. Yeah. What's up with that? Is he yeah, just that just that ahead of the ball game or what? Yeah, two days in a row golfing with Clemens. The day before, he was uh, it was him and Del Rio. Uh, Chris Berman was out there. Uh, Clemens, Ricky Jackson, the Saints Hall of Famer. That they were playing in the celebrity shootout at the uh, Zurich Classic. And then yesterday, he's in he's in the foursome. Last year, Spieth and uh, Palmer were actually in the draft room, and that's how everybody found out that they were trying to take Patrick Mahomes because you invited him in there and. Uh, Palmer did an interview the next day and was like, hey, I, I, it seemed like they were mad because they didn't get Mahomes. And then, you know, coming to turn out, that, that really actually was the guy. That, <laughs> that was the league. After, That's so. awesome. That's hilarious. I, I can't imagine yeah. that there's any other NFL head coach that's uh, golfing with the Rocket, uh, you know, on the eve <laughs> of the NFL draft. That's that's something else. <laughs> hey, you, you must be feeling good. So, I mean, maybe that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. So, I take it. You know, uh, as you know, because I spent some time with you, uh, I was in NOLA a week and a half ago or so. Seems like the, I mean, it's always been a Saints town. Obviously, it seems like there's even just that much more of a buzz. Now that the team is, you know, a Super Bowl contender, you know, are they kind of looking at this draft as an opportunity to, you know, continue stockpiling? Uh, Is there a lot of, uh, you know, anxious uh, 
you know, fans that are out there or is it kind of lukewarm because they're already a good team? I think there, there's a lot of, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I think a lot of people feel confident about where the team's at, but I mean, being realistic, the other teams in the NFC, you know, it looks like on paper a lot of them have gotten better. And I think there is somewhat of a, of a sense of urgency. Just And there's going to be every year moving forward just because, you know, Drew Brees is going to be 30, he's 39, the end of the season he's going to be 40. He's going to be 40. You know, every year that, that clock's ticking. So, to me, the, the interesting thing to me is going to just, you know, seeing how they handle that balancing act between getting better and addressing the immediate needs right now versus, well, hey, you know, maybe take this guy and he might not play this year, but in a year from now there's going to be a need you can plug him in. So, I want to see how they kind of walk that tightrope because there's a lot of positions where they could go either way. I could see him going all in this year, and, you know, maybe trading a couple of picks to go up and get a pass rusher. At the same time, I could see him sitting back and, and, you know, sitting at 27 and picking a cornerback, even though they might not necessarily need one right now because Ken Crowley is a pretty solid number two. P.J. Williams is a solid backup, but next year both those guys are free agents and sure, sure never thing. too much stuff there. So yep. kind yep. of seeing how it plays out is going to be very, very interesting. Nick, we got about 15 seconds left. How could people follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill and at theadvocate.com. Awesome, my man. Thank you so much for Thanks, joining Nick. us. Have a great time tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side and see how the Saints did. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm waiting for those numbers. Give me those numbers. I got Come you, on, man. man. <laughs> Thank All you right, for joining one, us, guys. everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We will see you next week, same time, same place. Enjoy the NFL Draft, folks. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.